all say this together. I'll say something and you repeat after me. Go. Go. See, it sounds so much better than this. O-H. Yeah, see. Go blue is just so much more classy. No. One team left. One Big Ten team left. Um, today's the last class for Daniel. It's been a wonderful study. Um, a wonderful study of very um, difficult, oftentimes rather esoteric, uh, other times extremely confusing material. And I don't know that we could have really found a better teacher for it than Debbie. Um, or a, or her finding a, a useful rubric through which to do it, which is the little book um, that challenges us not only to know it, but then to experience it. Um, so on behalf of the church, thank you very much. We know it takes time, it takes energy, it takes brain cells, commitment, devotion. It builds them, yes, but we appreciate it. Um, Let's pray for her as she begins. Get up here. Get up here. Gracious God, we ask you to again anoint Debbie to her teaching today um, that we may all um, receive wisdom and power, that we may be given a strength to proclaim your gospel in new ways in a challenging culture. Uh, allow her lips to speak your truth and her witness to grant to all of us a way to go. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Pastor. You're welcome, young lady. Okie dokie. Well, it's been a bit of a whirlwind, hasn't it? I mean, just 12 short chapters, 12 weeks, one quarter of our lives. Yes. <gasps> My fault. He handed me the mic and I just began to talk. <laughs> I'm sorry, Debbie. Debbie. I'm sorry to interrupt, <laughs> Debbie. Um, I am Dan Moretta today. And, Looking uh, good. <laughs> uh, Dan asked me to remind everybody that there is no Westminster class next Sunday, Easter Sunday. And then the following class, April 8th, April 8th would be, we have a visit from the Israeli emissaries that are here in the Canton and Akron area for the year. This is Gili and Uri from Israel. Uh, Uri's family was affected by the Holocaust and they talk about how their family moved to, it, migrated to Israel at some point and their military service and they take questions about Israel and the situation there. So. Please, you know, come, come out for that one because it'll be a good one. Thanks. Thank you, Nancy. <laughs> Sorry. The best laid plans. All right. So here we are. We've been looking at this self-differentiated man of God. We've been looking at the journey from life as we have known it to life in exile and at the parallels between um, Daniel's circumstances and quite frankly, our circumstances. And most importantly, we've been looking at 
the way of being, the rhythm of life that was so core for Daniel and his friends, um, that was sustained through intentional practice that allowed him to remain faithful, even in a culture of seduction. From the very first opening chapter where Daniel has resolved to this 12th chapter where we find that the word is sealed and that Daniel is just simply to live in the midst of the anxiety of it all and go his way. So also we are called to be in the already and the not yet of God's reign, God's Basileia. So I just want to say to those of you that are leaving early just because you have to prep for communion, you are going to miss something really wonderful because we're going to work on that already, not yet, in a very embodied way. So just anticipate something really wonderful. Um, but what I want us to do as we look over um, and enter into this 12th chapter is to be thinking about those practices and, and to be thinking about the practices that shape our own life. If we remember, prayer for Daniel um, was as automatic as breathing. Just as we inhale and exhale, so was that availability of going to God for Daniel. And he was able to, to really separate out the demands of culture and the ability to dwell with God through centering prayer and through other core practices. And remember, we have looked as we have journeyed through this book at the power of habit, that there will always be those triggers, those cues, if you will, that are going to ask us to... Um, to just enter into the world, to be of the culture. And we need to be so grounded that we are able to be in the world even as we are not of it. And to be participants in bearing the already and the not yet of God's reign. So with those cues, for Daniel, the temptation of the king's table for Daniel, the anxiety to be told that all the king's wise men were going to be killed in chapter 2. For Daniel's friends to, um, to be thrown into that place of great tension. For Daniel himself and the lion's den. What happens when the anxiety of our world enters into your life? What are the practices that you immediately go to that shape and form your rhythm? For Daniel, prayer and fasting, remember, fasting without prayer is just a bad form of dieting, was a core practice. So also prayer partners. Daniel had the community into which he could lean in times of deepest stress. There was submission and letting go to God and God's ways. There was relinquishment of any ability to be in control of the events that circled around him and instead to continually go to God. Confession. How often do we go 
to confession. Not only confession of those things that have held us apart from God, but confession of praise. Doxology. Centering prayer. Praying down strongholds. Intercessory prayer. Mourning. How are we attentive to the practice of mourning? Understanding that letting go precedes taking hold. Stewardship of self. I don't know if there's anything um, you want to come back to from last week's practice. The prayer drive. Did anybody do it? Okay, that answers that question. That means we've still got time. You still got time. Yeah, that's right. Who did it? Awesome man. Would you like to speak about it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. I uh, just walked around the neighborhood and prayed because I don't have a car. <laughs> so, I mean, it was just like maybe uh, three blocks that way, five blocks that way, and then came back around like that. It was pretty cool. I mean, hopefully it works, you know. <laughs> I have no doubt that it works. I think, you know, first and foremost, it opens our eyes to what God sees. And it allows us to, um, to look with God's eyes, with compassion upon our community, and to see things in new ways. I also know that it um, affords the opportunity, especially in the warmer weather. See, I knew you all were waiting for something. In the warmer weather, it allows us actually to begin to enter into relationship um, and to know faces. One of my favorite recent um, stories was when David Kenzel was coming back from the Y and needed something to eat before a meeting and found himself right in one of our new restaurants, Kumbars, <laughs> and, um, and was just embraced by the community, by an establishment that he had walked by many times, yet never gone in. So springtime is coming. We'll come back to this. Indeed, we might even set a time in which to be deployed all across downtown Canton to go with the eyes of Christ and the heart of compassion that is our God's and um, to pray for our community and to be blessed, to be a blessing for our community and by our community. But today we're gonna go into chapter 12. So I want you to open your Bibles to chapter 12. Um, if you remember, last week in um, Daniel 10 through 12 provides actually a, a final sequence, if you will. And so we had an introduction uh, to a vision in chapter 10, and then we had the vision in uh, chapter 11, and it was a very troubling vision. And that continues through the first three verses of 12. And then we get some concrete instructions to Daniel, along with final words. So what I want us to do is, um, actually, let's just read through the whole sweep of the chapter. It's not that long a chapter. Um, 12 verses 1 through 13. Maybe if we take it a pericope at a time and we can share it, and Rich is ready with the mic for whoever wants to lead off.
this, at that time, Michael, the great prince, the protector of your people, shall arise. There shall be a time of anguish such as never occurred since nations first came into existence. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, keep the words secret and the book sealed until the time of the end. Many shall be running back and forth, and evil shall increase. Verse 5. Well, that's a very hopeful verse by which to finish this pericope, is it not? Um, I want us to pause, but um, let's see who's going to read the next piece, because I want us to... Um, to just ponder for a moment the privilege and the responsibility that comes with being God's people. It's clear that God in these few short verses is neither promising uh, an easy or a short journey. What God does promise, though, is deliverance for everyone whose name will be found in the book and that those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead um, to righteousness will be like stars forever. So here's the deal, beloved. If we want immediate gratification, this book is not for us. And by this book, I mean not only the book of Daniel, but the whole journey that we find. As people of God, we need to take the long view. And indeed, we're entering into that long view this week. Um, Romans 8 puts it this way, that we are to never forget that the present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. So God's promise to us in the book of Daniel is it will be revealed. But that iron-on-iron iron journey is one in which, with intentionality, we can live um, into a place where out of that suffering, we will come to that place of deep compassion. We will come to that place of deepened relationship with God and with others. We will come to bear the light. So let's go ahead, and um, if somebody would now read verses 5 through 7. Then I, Daniel, looked, and two others appeared one standing on this bank of the stream and one on the other. One of them said to the man clothed in linen who was upstream, How long shall it be until the end of these wonders? The man clothed in linen who was upstream raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by the one who lives forever that it would be for a time, two times, and a half time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be accomplished. Do you get the sense that we're not supposed to be asking about how long, O oh Lord? <laughs> Jesus has a few things to say about that later. 
but rather that we're supposed to find that intersection between Kairos time and Kronos time. That in fact, the questions we ask will determine the direction in which we live. And that we need to be attentive about those questions. Poet John Sicardi said, a good question is not a bolt to be tightened into place. How long? but rather a seed to be planted toward the greening of the landscape of faith. So not the question of how long, the car ride question of the toddler, but rather the question, and how shall I live to bear the light in this time and in this place? There's an inherent tension in that, isn't there? There is the difference between seeking the journey's destination and making the journey our home. And part of what Daniel continues to model to us, even in the midst of his struggle, is the invitation to make the journey our home. All right, who's up next? We're getting to a really important part. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, Oh, my Lord, what shall be the issue of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the continual burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the thousand three hundred and thirty-five days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Wow, that's really satisfying, isn't it? <laughs> nice. Hmm. But it does speak into our living. Much as we might like the answers, the invitation instead is to seek the way of wisdom. There's a sense in which God is saying your practices matter, how you live matters. And the call then is to be attentive to what it means. I want to look at this in the context of resurrection living, because here we are. It's Holy Week. And just as Daniel in exile has not forgotten who and whose he is, so also as we enter this Holy Week, we're given invitation to ponder anew what it means to take up our cross, what it means to follow Jesus, not only when it's convenient, when it feels good, but even in the midst of the inconvenient moments. It means losing our lives for Christ's sake, singing the Lord's song even in darkness and exile, understanding that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So it seems to me 
we find ourselves in rather interesting times. I've given Dick a new assignment, and that assignment is to fast from the news for Eastertide. I don't think it's going to work, but, you know, hope springs eternal. But honestly, folks, it would be really easy to get hooked into this spiral with our news cycle of one in which we see little hope where we feel utter futility and frustration. The reality is we need to stand with the kids who marched for their lives yesterday, and in standing with those kids, understanding that it is going to be a long journey, that deep adaptive change doesn't happen in a moment, and that we're in a threshold time just as Daniel was in a threshold time. And in that threshold time, we are to bear the power of resurrection in and through our actions. So part of what I want you to do as we break out, and we'll come back together in this moment, is to reflect on what part of Daniel's journey over these last 12 weeks has been most instructive to you. Is there a particular practice that you have found yourself um, particularly blessed by, or challenged by, or invited into. What has this journey meant to you, and how does that then inform not only our Holy Week journey, but our Eastertide journey in the already and not yet of God's reign? So let's take a little bit of table time. I call us back together. And Rich has the mic, and we would love to hear insights from your tables. It's amazing how shy we become. I don't have much to say about it. It's been, all of it's been good. Uh, I don't have, I haven't developed anything new, but I, I want to throw along uh, this we looked at, we saw the Apostle Paul last night. That is worth it. It's very biblical. I mean, it's doesn't, nothing about it is, uh, is, uh, is, uh, he likes the tie, yeah. Um, Something about idols in all of this, isn't there? Um, anyway, the, um, the practice that hit me from the beginning was, was confession, but in the context of Daniel, uh, the idea of corporate confession, that we have to lift up the sin of our community, um, you know, how we would define it here, the, the sin of Canton, the sin of Ohio, the sin of the country, the sin of the world, um, and it hit, actually hit me twice this past week. Once on my drive, I just drove out um, East 12th Street and back because I never get I never get over in that area. And um, it must have been something one day. And it kind of came to me. It's probably still something. It's just that I don't have the eyes to see it. Uh, the people there are probably pretty wonderful people, but we define them by location. Um, and then yesterday um, at the march, you know, no matter where you stand on, on the issues of, of the Second Amendment, 
the idea of, of people coming together and acknowledging failure was pretty powerful to me. I, I think we all pretty much are one mind as far as looking at Daniel as someone who was swimming against the stream, so to speak. He was outside the the norms. Uh, we look at what our society now expects and wants us to conform to it. And, and if you buy this or buy that, you'll be a great person, you'll be a beautiful person, you'll be successful, whatever it is. And we all recognize that Daniel resisted and and put himself in danger, whether it was in this particular secular kingdom or um, he was in danger with some of the, the things that he did even in the Jewish community. And we, look at, we looked at it and said it, he, was, he was going against the tide, if you will. He was resisting. He was doing what he knew his faith required him to do, regardless of what the danger to him was and what the, the authorities were saying that he had to do. Yeah. And you, but you know what I'm also taken by is, so there was absolute clarity for him as to when that would pull him apart from his relationship with God. But he also stayed connected. He stayed connected both with the Jewish community, he stayed connected um, with the palace community, and was respectful through all of it, even in his no. Which to me is, I mean, that takes immense intentionality. Um, That's got to be grounded in prayer and in confession, um, and in those core practices that um, help one in that sort of continual discernment, which in, its, in the Greek word, um, and I'm not so, I don't remember what the Hebrew word discernment, it involves sifting, you know, so sort of sifting between um, that which is good and that which is faithful. Yeah. And he, also, he also was with a king that recognized and was willing to see the strength of, his, of Daniel's faith yes. and actually modified himself. In response to it, which and, is huge. And do we see that today? No, but how do we create the conditions by which we might increasingly see that um, in our different relationships? You know, I, no, we're not seeing much of it today. But it seems to me... Um, we can nurture the capacity for it. Anyone else? Jack. Well, Phyllis reminds me almost daily of the fellowship in Washington, which many, many years has been going on. Abram Verady and some of the rest started. Some of us have been there for mm-hmm. those series. Billy Graham spoke and And that fellowship is a group that comes together weekly of congressmen, of senators, and they study and pray together. And I hope, against hope, that they are both Democrats, Republicans, and whatever else there might be. But uh, I would encourage all of us to pray for the fellowship in a very, very difficult time. Absolutely. So that actually, John. Go ahead. No, I want to hear. I just, uh, I raised with the group uh, Daniel's prayer that uh, listen to the prayer of your servant, let your face shine upon, incline your ear, open your eyes, 
Look at our desolation. Uh, this is just portion of his prayer, and I had raised with you, and it was very meaningful to me that that isn't my type of prayer that and I had really always uh, you know, felt like lightning would strike me if I uh, used words of that nature, but you said he had that relationship. And so that was very meaningful to me that aspiring to have a relationship with God where you can communicate, you can complain, you can ask the wise, you can be in that kind of relationship uh, of mourning, as we talked about, but that was meaningful to me because I don't feel like I've had that kind of relationship where I can really, without shuddering a little bit, complain too much. Wow, so that's something <laughs> to I'm live that's into, John. Pardon me? So are you going to use uh, make practice of that form of prayer? Well, I think that um, there was a proper amount of reverence. Yeah. I've got a bunch of questions I want to ask God when I get up there, too. All right, so that well, actually... <laughs> All right, I'm moving us. I'm moving us. Early church father Gregory of Nyssa says this. Sin happens whenever we refuse to keep growing. Now, that's a new take on sin, isn't it? It isn't a mea culpa, beat my chest, I messed up. It's more the sense that we actually might learn from those times that we have found ourselves distanced from God or from one another or from our community, and out of that learning might keep growing. And, and here's what Richard Rohr has to say. In a culture that is oversensitized to sin, at least the sin of others, yes, it would call us to reflect on sin from a new angle. Um, and I must say, I don't believe that um, we're being invited to sin that grace might abound in a Pauline form, um, but rather that we could use some generosity of spirit when responding to those places, um, those blind sides, those aspects of ourselves that are in need of growing as well as aspects of others. And this is what Rohr says. Sin and salvation are not correlative terms. Salvation is not sin perfectly avoided. Huh. Salvation is not sin perfectly avoided, as the ego would prefer. But in fact, salvation is sin turned on its head and used in our favor. That's worth pondering, folks. Salvation is sin turned on its head and used in our favor. And I would suggest that it's helpful to note that even virtues can be overused, um, such that honesty in the absence of compassion becomes cruelty. Tenacity unmediated by flexibility pushes us into rigidity. Confidence untempered by humility, is arrogance. Courage without prudence is recklessness. 
It seems to me that Daniel models that delicate dance that allows him to actually engage with a pagan culture with respect and in turn have the respect of King Nebuchadnezzar, not so much the grandson, but Nebuchadnezzar to the degree that it actually mediates social policy and the political practice of its day. And, you know, our um, honorable judges at this table have reminded us of um, the challenge of prayer. But do we trust God with our prayers? I mean, what would happen if we actually did take Daniel's prayer and just let those words be inscribed upon our hearts? And in taking that prayer inscribed upon our hearts, allow that in turn to shape our prayers for this downtown area of Canton so that we might pray with boldness and yet also at the same time with humility. So here's where I want to take us. Sometimes... Um, we, uh, we edit ourselves when we get into our prefrontal cortex. And sometimes we neglect the reality of the amygdala, that anxiety-provoking part of our brain that is actually the only fully formed portion of the brain, isn't it, doctor, at birth? That freeze or flight, frenzy, fuse portion of the brain. So what I want us to do is look at the already and not yet of God's reign. And I want us to think about those places where either we personally are stuck or our community is stuck in practices and ways of being that actually are not helpful, are not life-giving. And I want us to think about, and this might be a challenge for us Presbyterians, but I know you can do it, what does that look like, feel like? There are times when I feel like, oh my Lord, it's an assault. And what would happen if we dared to journey through the eye of the needle into the not yet of God's reign and embody that? What would that look like? One of my favorite prayer positions is the Orant prayer position in the Jewish community. You find that people are often with their arms upraised Heads looking up toward heaven. It's a full body engagement. So what I want you to do is I want you to get in threes. And I want you to each think about what your stuck position looks like. Whether it's the stuck of this community, the stuck of your family, the stuck of this church, now I'm really meddling, or a personal stuck in your family, and then what would it look like to move through that stuck into the not yet of God's reign, of resurrection living? And as you work those out, I'm going to ask that you do it one at a time, from the stuck to the unstuck. And the two who are um, participating and supporting that person in that become the eye of the needle. So on one side of the eye of the needle, you have your stuck. On the other side of the eye of the needle, you have been released. Now remember biblically, 
that um, what happened is after the gates were closed um, at the end of the day to go into the city of Jerusalem, there are times when traders would arrive by night with their camels, and the camels would be heavily burdened with packages uh, for the traders. But in order to get the camel through the narrow gate, which was called the eye of the needle, everything had to be taken off the camel to take the camel through. Now there's one difference, of course. We're not going to go back and pick up our stuck. Once we let it go, we're going to move through the eye of the needle and feel the release of that. And then, of course, the invitation is to allow God to speak into that in terms of God's call to you in this church, in your own personal lives, in this community. Now, triple up and find a corner. All right, beloved. Okay, so you face each other because you're the eye of the needle together. I need you wider, though. All right, so I want you to think about, you know, what does stuck feel like in your life? So, you know, sometimes, as I said, stuck feels like this. In order to go through, you have to come up and move through and come out. Everybody, up out of your chairs and find a corner. Nobody's going to be watching you. Well, everybody gets a turn, Jerry. Yeah. There we go. Sure. I don't know. Do we have you with uh with your husband? <laughs> he did not leave. Look, you're needed over here. Now, no words. You don't need to explain it, folks. Just embody it. I've asked for one of our teams to go ahead and model to us what their stuck and unstuck looks like. Why don't you guys come up here? They don't need a mic because they're, they're going to do the embodied. Okay. So we have Kate. Yeah. Do any of you want a mama?
Thank you all very much. So here's the reality. We carry a lot of stuff in our bodies, a lot. And we are, have perfected the art, often, of ignoring what our bodies have to tell us. For some, until there's a medical emergency or a crisis in one's life. But the reality is, our bodies are wise. And when we allow our bodies to speak into our living, they can move us in ways that we um, had never, ever expected before. The same is true in our communities. We can get bounded views of how things are and what's possible and what's not possible. Daniel never gave hope, up hope that the exiles would return home. Think about it. He spent his entire adult life from a young adult carried in exile until he was considered ancient of days to the point where he was himself too old to return. But he never lost hope that the exiles would return. For us, the invitation is somewhat different. It isn't a returning to what has been, but it is a letting go in order to take hold of the new that God is preparing ahead of us. And the prophets speak to this when they say, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Can you not see it? Do you not yet perceive it? The already and not yet of God's reign is what we're called to participate in. And part of the Holy Week journey is to journey from those places where we have preconceived notions into that place of letting go that we might take hold and live into God's all right, already. And it is a journey in which that letting go actually is most fully modeled to us in death. Because the reality is we can't get to resurrection except through death. So what I'd like to do um, is actually invite us to walk across to the chapel where we might just very briefly consider renewing our baptismal vows, understanding that in our baptism we are baptized into Christ's death. And through that baptism into his death, we will also rise with Christ into new life. And as we embody that not only incarnation, but death and resurrection, we become part of the resurrection of our community in a very powerful and profound way. Jesus, the incarnation's not a mere metaphor, folks. It's an embodiment of how we are to live our lives. So, are you up for just a quick walk across the hallway? Is there, there's not a class in the chapel, is there? Let's just go in. It will take all of two minutes. <laughs>